Thanks for downloading today's podcast of Clearly Seen, taught by Mike Kokoris. I think you're going to enjoy what Mike has for you today. And if you're ever in the San Fernando Valley area of Los Angeles, we invite you to Lindley Church. Mike would love to meet you personally and answer any questions you have. Feel free to email your comments and questions to michael at kokoris.com. That's michael at C-O-C-O-R-I-S dot com. Now, let's hear from Mike. What is your ambition? I suppose the most, when most people hear that word, they immediately think of a very ambitious ambition, like being president or making a million dollars. Well, most people aren't quite that ambitious. But nonetheless, we all have goals or aims or ambitions of some sort. But imagine the ambition of a young teenage athlete is to play in the pros. The ambition of all students is just to graduate. The ambition of a young married couple is to be able to save enough money to buy a house. The ambition of an older couple is to build a house. I once asked a man I deeply respect, what is the goal of the rest of your life? And he said, to make it through today. What is your ambition? Is it to travel? Is it a promotion? Is it to have a house in the mountains or a house on the lake? Is it to get married? What is your ambition? I want to talk about that today. Um, it's just possible that everybody listening to me has some kind of a goal for the future, near or far, but that you might have left out something that you might ought to consider putting in uh, your goals or your ambition. What I'd really like for us to do is this. Uh, we've been looking at the book of Romans, and frankly, we're winding it all down and we're coming to the end. When Paul gets to the middle of Romans chapter 15, he is done with the body of the book. He now attaches a little appendix that is a word about himself, and then the 16th chapter is a greeting, a whole long list of people. What I want us to do is to look at the latter half of Romans 15, and particularly notice what Paul says about his personal ambition. Perhaps that can motivate us to think about some of the ambitions we ought to have. Turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 15, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 14. Now, I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me 
in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Holy Spirit that so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ and so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel not where Christ was named lest I should build on another man's foundation but as it is written to whom he has not announced they shall see and those who have not heard shall understand for this reason I also have been much hindered from coming to you but now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you whenever I journey to Spain I shall come to you for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you if first I may enjoy your company for a while but now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the Saints and it pleased those from um, Macedonia and Archaea to make a certain contribution to the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem and it pleased them indeed and they are their debtors for if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things their duty is also to minister to them in material things therefore when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit I shall go by way of you to Spain but I know that when I come to you I will come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ now I beg you brethren through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe and that my service from Jerusalem may be acceptable to the Saints that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you now the God of peace be with you all amen this long passage of scripture is very clearly divided into two parts in verses 14 to 21 Paul is talking about the letter he has just written to them that is the book of Romans in the process of doing that he mentions his travel plans so beginning at verse 22 and going down to the end of the chapter in verse 33 he talks about his impending visit to them so I want us to talk first of all about Paul's letter and secondly about Paul's visit to the church at Rome let's begin with his letter he says now I myself am confident concerning you my brethren that you also are full of goodness filled with all knowledge and able also to admonish one another nevertheless I have written more boldly reminding you because of the grace of God uh, grace given to me by God now what he's saying in these opening verses is related primarily to what he has just said in chapters 14 and 15 you will recall those chapters dealt with doubtful things and more particularly how to treat an over scrupulous brother now he has just finished writing all of that so he commenting on what he has just written says this uh, verse 14 I am confident 
that you are full of goodness, knowledge, and you're able to admonish one another. Now that has direct reference to his instruction concerning the weaker brother. He is saying, look, I've just told you that the stronger brother ought to accommodate the weaker brother. And I'm doing that, but I don't want you to think that uh, I don't have confidence that you will do that. I'm sure that you will. And the reason that I'm confident of that is because you are filled with knowledge. You will recall that by definition, the stronger brother in Romans 14 and 15 is the brother who has knowledge. So he says, I know you have knowledge concerning doubtful things. Furthermore, you are filled with goodness, he says, which indicates that they had character. It wasn't just that they had information in their head, they had integrity as well. He knew and was confident that they would act on the knowledge that they had and they would take care of the problem. He is perfectly confident that the believers in the Roman church would not destroy the weaker brother with their knowledge. Furthermore, he's not only confident of their knowledge and their ability to handle the situation, he is further confident that they are perfectly capable among themselves to admonish one another. The Greek word translated admonished in verse 14 has the image behind it of someone stepping out of line and you exhorting them to step back in line. So he says, I am very confident that you are able to handle the situation about which I just wrote. You can handle it yourself personally and you can handle any others who step out of line. You are capable of doing that. Now, I think it is significant <clears throat> that he says in these chapters that some have knowledge and they are stronger. And nevertheless, uh, they could destroy a weaker brother. Now, that was not his estimate of them at Rome, but that is possible. All of which leads me to say that it is possible to learn the Bible to gain great knowledge of the content of it and it not be of any practical value. That was not the case at Rome. And I pray it is not the case with us. Donald Gray Barnhouse in his series on the book of Romans tells of a German scholar who probably knew more about the Aramaic language than any other living man during his lifetime. But it was all on paper. If he went to the Middle East, he didn't know enough to order a cup of coffee. And I think that's the estimate of some Christians. There are some who have great knowledge of the Scripture, but it is of no practical value. Now, Paul says, I'm confident that is not the case with you. Well, then why did you write? Well, he says in verse 15, Nevertheless, even though you know and even though you've got the character to carry it out. Nevertheless, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God. So his point is this. I'm talking about the letter I've just written, and I didn't write this because I didn't think you didn't know. You do know. As a matter of fact, the fact that you knew made me the more bold to talk to you about the things that I did, he says. Rather, I wrote, because I wanted to remind you 
of those things. This is um, a truth that uh, has struck me personally recently. Um, any good educator knows that repetition is one of the laws of learning. I think there can be too much repetition and that can make something boring. On the other hand, I think that there are times when we don't hear something enough. There are several places in the Bible where the writers, especially of the New Testament, say, uh, I'm not writing anything new to you. I am writing this to you because you already know it, but what you need is to be reminded of it. The classic case is the whole book of 2 Peter, where he says several times, I'm not writing this to you because you don't know. I'm writing this to you to remind you what you already know. But then, of course, I don't have to remind you that you need to be reminded, do I? If you're parents, you know that, right? You know that it's line upon line and precept upon precept that they have to be told over and over and over and over again, right? And if you're married, you know that, right? You know that you have to tell him over and over and, and her over and over and over, right? So it's no surprise that we need to be constantly reminded, even of things we know, even of things we're capable of doing. So Paul says, I wrote this letter, not because you didn't know, but because you did. Now, at that point, he makes an interesting shift, and he begins to talk about his own ministry. And he says, verse 15, I have written more boldly on some points as reminding you because of the grace of God given to me. This is the ministry God has given to me to minister to you. That's his point. And that's why I wrote this letter, he says. Now, verse 16, he goes on to say, and that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now he says, look, I wrote this to remind you because God has given me that ministry. And furthermore, God gave me the ministry to be the apostle of the Gentiles, ministering the gospel to them that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable to them. So all of a sudden, he starts um, talking about his ministry. Now, he continues this, but before we go on, I want to pause and just point out something. Um, <clears throat> this kind of thing happens in the New Testament all the time, but I just want you to notice that within the compass of two verses, there is a reference to the Trinity. Look at verse 15. Because of the grace given to me by God. Verse 16. That I might be a minister of Jesus Christ. Verse 16. Sanctified by the Holy Spirit. I am amazed as I study the scripture at how often Paul weaves the Trinity into what he is saying. He does that often and this is a case in point. But what he's talking about is his ministry and he goes on to say therefore I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God now he is simply saying God has given me this ministry and if I'm going to glory in something I'm going to glory in Christ Jesus in the things that pertain to God I can glory in what he has given me to do 
He explains, verse 18, For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word or deed to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem round about uh, to uh, Illyricum, um, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Illyricum, by the way, is modern-day Yugoslavia. Now, what he's saying in this sentence is simply this. He says, look, I can glory in what God has given me to do. I'm not going to glory, verse 18, in those things that I did apart from Christ speaking in me. I'm going to glory in what Christ has done through me. And he's done a great deal in word and in power and in mighty signs and wonders by the Holy Spirit all over the ancient world. I take it when he says in mighty signs and wonders, he's talking about the signs of an apostle. So he says, that's what I'm going to glory in, what Christ has done through me to reach Gentiles. And then he says this, So I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he has not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. Very simply, what he is saying is this. My ambition is to preach Christ where he has never been named. That's the point he is making in these verses. And in order to support that, he quotes Isaiah 52, 15, where... Isaiah referred to the fact, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. And Paul says, that is my particular burden. I want Christ to be seen through me. But what I really want is to preach the gospel where it's never been preached before. An interesting little concept. This was Paul's ambition. He wanted to glory in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ working through him. A little boy went to a church that had stained glass windows. That was a picture of St. Matthew and St. Mark and St. Luke and St. John and St. Paul. And one day somebody asked this little boy, what is a saint? And the little boy, remembering the stained glass windows, said, a saint is someone through whom the light shines. Not a bad definition. That's Paul's ambition. I want to glory in the Lord. I want to glory in what he has done through me. But specifically, for me, he says, that's to preach Christ where he's never been named. This is always... Um, had appeal to me. It's not what God has called me to do, but I've always been, I think, beholden. I admire people who want to give their lives to just go tell somebody that never heard or never had an opportunity. Uh, many years ago, there was a man named David who was studying to be a doctor, and his ambition was to go to China. But he couldn't 
because of the opium wars and he couldn't get a visa to get in. So he wasn't sure where he was going to go or what he was going to do. He just knew he wanted to give his life to be a missionary. And then he heard someone say that they had been to Africa and that in the northern part of the country, by the morning sun, there were the smoke of a thousand villages where the gospel had never been preached. And young David Livingston heard that comment and say, that's what I want to do. I want to go preach the gospel in one of those villages that's never heard about Jesus Christ. The Church of the Open Door has had, over the years, couples to do that, and we have one now. They're going to a tribe that has never been given the gospel. The language has never been reduced to writing. The New Testament has never been put in their language. We've had many go do things like that. I have been to the Amazon jungle and seen firsthand the work of a man who went and gave his life just to translate the scriptures so one tribe who had never heard could have the gospel. Now, Paul said, I've written this letter to you. It isn't because I think you don't know these things or aren't capable of handling them. You can. But I know you need to be reminded. And besides, that's part of the ministry God's given to me. But my real ambition, my real ambition is to go preach the gospel someplace where nobody's ever done it before. Now, it's that statement at this point that launches him into the second part of this uh, long paragraph. I'm choosing to call this Paul's visit. After discussing his letter, he plunges into the impending visit to Rome. So he explains to them he's going to drop by to see them. Only what he says in the process is kind of fascinating. Look at verse 22. He says, for this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you. Now, what has hindered him is he's been out there preaching the gospel where it's never been heard in places like Yugoslavia, modern day. But now, verse 23, no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. He says in verse 23, uh, there's no more place in these parts. The Greek word place means room. There's no more room where I am to preach gos the gospel to people who've never heard it. So he said, you know, one of the desires I've had, one of these, one of these ambitions that I've had all my life is to uh, come preach to you at Rome. But notice the way he says it. He doesn't just say, my desire these many years was to come to you. It was to come to you on my way to... Spain. And what he means, of course, is my ambition was to go where Christ was never named, and one of those places is Spain, and that's always been my ambition to go there. And that's what I'm going to do. And as I do, I'd like to drop by and visit the saints at Rome. So he says, I shall come to you. Verse 24, for I hope to see you on my journey and be helped on my way there by you. If first I may you enjoy your company for a while. He says, I'm going to stop off, and maybe you can help me get to Spain. Now, we don't exactly know what he had in mind. Perhaps he had nothing more in mind than some hospitality uh, and entertainment, putting him up uh, on his way. Uh, perhaps 
he had in mind uh, them receiving an offering to help defray the expenses. Uh, some have suggested that maybe what he had in mind was somebody in the congregation could speak Spanish and they could go with him to Spain. All he says is, is I'm going to stop by. I want to enjoy your fellowship. I want to spend a little time with you, and I want you to help me uh, accomplish my ambition to go where the gospel has never been preached. But before I do all that, he says, I've got to tell you something else. Verse 25, but now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. What? I thought your ambition was to uh, go where the gospel was never preached. Why? The gospel was preached in Jerusalem <laughs> back in Acts 2. Jesus and the apostles preached the gospel in Jerusalem. Uh, and you just said there was no more room uh, like you were looking for where you were. Why are you going all the way back to Jerusalem? He explains, verse 26, For it pleased those from Macedonia and Archaea to make a certain contribution to the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles had been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. So he says, Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. But now, that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. What he's simply saying is this. What I've been involved in is taking up a collection for the poor saints at Jerusalem. He speaks of that um, in the, the book of 1 Corinthians and the book of 2 Corinthians. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians, he devotes two chapters to this subject, and he simply says, I've been in the process of taking up an offering for the poor saints at Jerusalem, so I've got to go uh, to Jerusalem to deposit it, to give it, to deliver it. And so that's why I have to go to Jerusalem. By the way, in the midst of discussing all of this, I want you to notice one thing. Verse 27 says, they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of spiritual things, their duty is to minister to them in material things. Uh, right in the middle of this, he just underlines this little principle. Anytime anybody ministers to you something spiritual, the New, the New Testament teaches you are duty-bound to minister to them uh, materially. It is the right of someone who... Uh, ministers spiritually the gospel of the scriptures to earn his living by that means. Uh, Paul says the same thing again in Galatians chapter 6. I have taught you spiritual things and those that among you have taught you spiritual things and you ought to minister to them financially. Uh, now, he takes that principle and he applies it to the Gentiles and he says, you know, the gospel came to the Jew first. He said that in the first part of the book of Romans and they gave the gospel, that which is spiritual to the Gentiles, it came through the Jews, and now it's only proper that the Gentiles minister materially and financially to the Jews. I think the point for us is, where you are ministered to spiritually, you ought to give financially, meaning you ought to support your local church. That is exactly what Paul is teaching in this place. There is that spiritual obligation. But now, having said all of that, he says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, then I'm going to come to you, and then I'm going to go to Spain. And the whole point, again, is my ambition has always been to preach the gospel where it's never named, and I'm going to do that as soon as I go to Jerusalem, as soon as I stop off at your place, I'm going to go to Spain and do that. Now he concludes with a prayer. 
Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Now take your pen and notice there are three that's. He uses the word that three times in the next several verses. That I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service from Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Verse 32, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together by you. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. I think it's uh, interesting that Paul ends this with a request that they pray for him. This is his prayer. It's what he's asking. They pray for him. And uh, it's all his missionary activity. All again, which reminds me that we need to pray for our missionaries and their activity. And this isn't a bad list. This isn't a bad way to pray for missionaries, for their safety, for the reception of their ministry, and for their refreshment. Did you run all that down? Great text for how you should pray for missionaries in their travel. Somebody has said, it is part of the genius of Christianity that any believer can become a warrior in the battle at any time and in any place and make his influence count to the ends of the earth and in high heavenly places simply by engaging in prayer. By praying for missionaries, a believer can place himself in a canoe in the Amazon, in an igloo in the Arctic, in a tent in the Sahara, in a submarine at the bottom of the ocean, in a plane high in the stratosphere. He can ward off from the missionaries dangers in the jungle, diseases in the city slums, disasters on the deep. He can arm the missionary's witness with supernatural power, lift him from the sloth of despond, rout the unseen foes that lurk in the spiritual world, and strengthen his hand in God. By praying in the Spirit, the exercised believer can conquer time and space and have a share in the battle. End of quote. Well said. So Paul says, I want to talk to you about my visit. And what I need are your prayers for safety, that the ministry will be acceptable, and that I can have some refreshment in the midst of all the activity. Now there's a lot in these verses. We've just surveyed the scenery. But it seems to me the one thread that runs all the way through the latter part of Romans 15 is the single idea of Paul's ambition. He starts talking about the letter he wrote. That's part of his ministry. But that led him to say, my real ambition is to go preach the gospel where it's never been preached before. He talked about his visit. And that was to say, my real ambition is to go preach the gospel where it's never been preached before. So the sum of all these verses is that by God's grace, Paul ministered to the saints. And at times, that was simply nothing more than reminding them of something they already knew. But his great ambition and his plan was to preach the gospel to those who had never heard it. Now, I want to be careful with what I do with this passage. I think it would be wrong to suggest that um, we all have to do what the Apostle Paul did. Uh, this wasn't written to say that all of us need to go preach the gospel where 
It's never been preached before. That isn't the point. However, in one of the pastoral epistles, Paul makes the statement that everything that happened to him happened as an example to all believers. And I do think there is a spiritual application in this passage that all of us need to seriously consider, and it is simply this. The one thing that is blatantly obvious is that the Apostle Paul had an ambition. I mean, he talks about the letter and ends up talking about his ministry and his aim. He talks about his visit and he talks about his spiritual ambition. Go to Spain. I am not suggesting by any stretch of the imagination that it is the responsibility of all of us to go where the gospel has never been preached. But I am going to suggest that all of us need some kind of a spiritual goal and some kind of a spiritual ambition. So what is your aim spiritually? What is your aim and ambition in the spiritual realm? And I think this passage also reveals that Paul not only had an ultimate aim, he had steps to get him there. So I think I should not only ask you, what is your spiritual aim? But what are the steps and the stages you plan to go through or take in order to get there? I think your ambition could have something to do with prayer. I think that would be a very appropriate ambition. Pray around the world, support certain missionaries. Is that the ambition born of the Spirit of God in your life? Maybe your ambition is um, to um, have some form of ministry. I know a lady, one of the sweetest ladies I've ever known, who apparently has an ambition just to encourage people through letter writing. She'll never know. I've tried to tell her. She'll never know how she's ministered to me with a letter. What's your ambition? Almost from the day I was converted, I've had a spiritual goal. Matter of fact, I've had two. And very frankly, uh, one of them dominated the first part of my adult life and the others dominated the second. One is to win people to Jesus Christ. Always wanted to see that done. Sometimes I get bothered that we don't do enough of it as a church. We're making some plans to get more involved in that area. The other ambition I've had is just to teach the whole book. That's what I want to do. It's what I've always wanted to do since I was 18 years old. I don't know where it came from unless the Lord just gave it to me. But I'm, I'm obsessed with it. Now the truth of the matter is, I'm an ordinary guy. I put my britches on just like you do, Okay. I have some other interests, and I have a good time. But I'm going to tell you, I meet up with this. I really am. I love people. Matter of fact, I'm a people person. If I didn't handcuff myself to a study, I'd spend all my time with people. That's my problem. But I'm going to tell you, I have an ambition. 
and I go at it. I study on airplanes. I study at night. I study in the morning. I can't get enough of it. I love it. It's my ambition. Now, all I'm asking you is, what is your ambition? You have one? You ought to have an ambition, a spiritual ambition. Say, Lord, by your grace, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. Now, what is it? You got one? If you don't, you need to give that some very serious thought and just make some spiritual goals. I've known people whose spiritual goal was to make lots of money so they could give it to the Lord's work. Lord, could we have a few of those? That's, that, that, that's got possibilities. If you had the gift of giving, that'd be very appropriate. Now, what is your ambition? I've only touched the surface of possibilities. There are dozens more. What is your ambition? You ought to have a big ambition, one that's way beyond you. Paul wrote this, not at the first part of his life. He'd been living a long time when he wrote this. Why, he'd covered most of the ancient world. And he said, but you know, I'm running out of space. I'm running out of room. I've got to go find a space where they've never preached the gospel. That's going to take me all the way to Spain. Man, that was the end of the earth that day. You know, I've got to go through Rome to get there. But I'm not, my goal isn't going to Rome. My goal is to go to Spain. Now, I think Paul probably made it. I can't prove it, but there is a tradition that Paul made it to Spain, and I think he probably did. Book of Acts ends with him in Rome, but tradition says he was not beheaded in Act, after Acts 28. He was released, then several years later he went to Spain, he came back, he was arrested again, and then he was beheaded. But I want to conclude by saying this. I hope I've made it clear that I do not think that this passage is teaching that everybody has to have the ambition to go preach the gospel where it's never been heard. But I can't, I'm constrained to say that was Paul's ambition, and that's a very good one. And I have no idea who is, li who is listening to me right now or who will someday hear this message on a radio broadcast or who will hear it on a cassette tape and say, Lord, that's what I want to do. I want to go take the gospel to some place where it's never been preached. Now you say, but Mike, there is no such place anymore, is there? Oh, no. No, no, no. The mission experts tell us that there are hidden people groups all over the world. And I now understand what they're talking about. There are hidden people groups in Southern California. Uh, I'm persuaded there are hidden people groups speaking English but nobody's ever got the gospel to them. So just maybe, and I want to end with this, just maybe God would put it in the heart of somebody listening to me to say, I want to get the gospel to Spain. I want to get the gospel to somebody that's never heard it. And that could be very costly. Could cost you your life could cost you a lot of time, a lot of heartache, a lot of hardship. But just maybe, just maybe, 
That's your challenge. It's not everybody's, but maybe it's yours. Maybe, maybe it's yours. A preacher who lived many years ago named John Clifford told of uh, a missionary from India who came to speak to a group of Christians at a university in London. What he said was this, I need, and the story I read said, six men. We need six men to go to Africa and preach the gospel. But now before you make a decision, let me tell you that uh, where I'm talking about, there are no hardships. There's a swimming pool, there are nice accommodations, and you can eat the same type food you're accustomed to here. John Clifford said, not one student volunteered. Then he said, the next week, another missionary came. He was from Persia. He was a middle-aged man, but his hair was white, like a snow-capped mountain. Had wrinkles in his face. He was old past his years. And he said to that same group of people, I need, and the report I read said six men, to go to Persia. But before you make up your mind, I want you to know, it will shorten your life. It's hard. It's tough. If you volunteer for this assignment, I guarantee it'll shave years off your life. But we need six men. Six starward men to go to Persia. And John Clifford said, six men volunteered, went to Persia. That's not for everybody. Some can't handle it. But just maybe, just maybe, God's speaking to one somebody who says, I want that to be my ambition. I'll give my life that others can have eternal life. But here's the question. What's your ambition? And what price are you willing to pay to accomplish it? Let's pray. Father, Father, do that work that's beyond the words of a sermon and the words of a preacher. Father, do that work that only you can do, that deep spiritual work in our hearts. Help us get our eyes off ourselves and creature comforts, just having fun. Lord, give us. Give us a vision to accomplish great things for you. Give us the grace to do it to those that have such a dream and are discouraged and tired. Give them rest. Give them encouragement. 
Think of our missionaries that are in lonely places in this world. Our work is sometimes tough, hard, lonely. Lord, keep them safe. Give them a receptive ministry. Refresh them. And challenge us here at home. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.